Isaiah chapter 49 and reading from verse 1. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword, in the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft, in his quiver hath he hid me. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have laboured in vain, I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, and my work with my God. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation to the end of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, to him whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord that is faithful, and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee. And I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. That thou mayest say to the prisoners, Go forth, to them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, Neither shall the heat nor sun smite them, for he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinem. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted his people, and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Thy children shall make haste, thy destroyers, and they that made thee waste shall go forth of thee. Lift up thine eyes round about, and behold, 
all these gather themselves together and come to thee. As I live, saith the Lord, thou shalt surely clothe thee with all, as with an ornament, and bind them on thee as a bride doeth. For thy waste and thy desolate places and the land of thy destruction shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants. And they that swallowed thee up shall be far away. The children which thou shalt have after thou hast lost the other shall say again in thine ears, The place is too straight for me, the give place to me that I may dwell. Then shalt thou say in thine heart, who hath begotten me these, seeing I have lost my children, and am desolate, a captive, and removing to and fro? And who hath brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These, where had they been? Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles, and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty? Or the lawful captive delivered? But thus saith the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, And the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, And I will save thy children. And I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, And they shall be drunken with their own blood, As with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Saviour and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. Once again, dear friends, this is a fine chapter for us to be considering today. It's a blessed chapter in God's word from the pen of Isaiah. This is not the first time that Isaiah has mentioned God's covenant mercies by, by any means. But he is building here on this, in this chapter, he is building here upon the foundations that he has laid earlier in the book and by which the Lord's people among the Jews of Isaiah's age were taught about the ancient origins of God's plan of salvation. That's what we have in this chapter. We have a declaration of the ancient origins of God's plan of salvation and God's covenant purpose of grace and peace for redemption and deliverance of his elect people. Let me give you an example. Um, we previously read how Jehovah 
describes calling and setting apart the eternal word, the Son, to be the God-man. He whom we know as the Lord Jesus Christ. We read previously, a few weeks ago, now in Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7, these words. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. Here is the Father speaking to the Son, saying, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people. For a light of the Gentiles, to open up the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Now that is clearly messianic, and indeed we discover that the Lord Jesus Christ attributes these very words, this very verse, to himself in his gospel ministry. But that is what Isaiah has been able to speak about to the believers, the remnant people of his own age. So even way back then in Isaiah's day, these men and women had this information about the divine origin of the way of salvation and how one would come as the Messiah in order to accomplish God's purpose. And three things, three things are spoken of in that passage, that Isaiah 42 passage, that he then goes on to expand upon here in chapter 49. The three things are, just just very briefly, the three things are the father calling his son to serve and to fulfil his will for the redemption by blood. Okay, so that was one of the things that that the people were taught in Isaiah 42 about the father calling his son, the eternal word, to serve and fulfill the father's will for redemption by blood. The second thing was the father committing to help and uphold the son in that task, in fulfilling that task. So the father called the son to the task And the father committed to help and uphold the son in the task. And thirdly, the father promising to deliver and quicken all for whom Christ died. And so these three elements had already been taught to the people in in a previous uh, passage of Isaiah's uh, prophecy. And now here we find them being built upon and developed. All of this, as we read in Isaiah 42, is termed giving Christ for a covenant of the people. And it's a phrase that is repeated here in chapter 49, where Christ is given for a covenant of the people. And concerning this covenant or concerning this contract or this this agreement, because that's what the word covenant means in this context. It's a contract between the persons of the Godhead. Concerning this covenant, we find that it is the covenant for the redemption of the Lord's people, God's chosen elect. It was made between the Father, the Son 
and the Holy Spirit. When the Lord Jehovah engaged together to save the church of God in and by the Lord Jesus Christ. It is called the everlasting covenant and it was entered into and it was formed in the council of peace before the world began. These are the these are the great truths. These are the pillars uh, and the foundations of our understanding of the gospel. This covenant, this council of peace, was uh, 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 formed before the foundation of the world. And knowledge of this everlasting covenant is the reason why the apostle Paul speaks of eternal life being given to men and women of faith given to the Lord's chosen people in Christ Jesus before the world began. That's a phrase that is repeated in the apostles' ministry. For example, in, in, uh, in, in uh, Titus chapter 1 verse 2, we're told that we have eternal life given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And then, the, the Apostle also speaks of God the Father who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That's in Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. So this little phrase, before the world began, is important in the context of this covenant that was made. It's an everlasting covenant and it is the foundation and framework of all God's grace and mercy for the church now in time and also for our future glory and joy in heaven. So God's elect whom he has loved with an everlasting love were chosen in Christ before the world began. Justification, sanctification, were given to them in Christ before the world began. They were committed into the care of Christ before the world began. And under the terms of this covenant, Christ would come redeem, deliver and save his people that had been committed to him from their sins. In that great council, Jehovah sought for one worthy, able and willing to do the will of the Father in achieving and accomplishing the redemption of his people from their sins. And Isaiah, again, this prophet who, who, who sees so much, this prophet who understands and explains and delivers so much to the, to, to the elect of his own age, the remnant people of his own age, he is the one who writes of this. And I believe he's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ here. When he saw a, a vision of the Lord, he says, high and lifted up on his throne and his train filled the temple. And we are told, 
Isaiah says, also I heard, it's in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8, also having seen this vision, that grandeur of God's glory, also he said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? And then we read this. Then said I, not I suggest to you the prophet, but Christ, here am I, send me. This was agreed and the covenant was formed. The Father prepared a body for the Lord Jesus and sent him to bear the sins of his people at the appointed time. To ransom them from prison and to redeem them from the curse of the law. And it is that sending forth within the, the, the parameters of the covenant that John speaks about in 1 John chapter 4 verse 10 where he says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's the sending of the Lord Jesus Christ that is prefigured here in the establishment of the terms of this everlasting covenant made between the parties or, or, or the, 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 the members of the Godhead, parties to this covenant before the world begun. And by the person and by the work, by the death and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation and everlasting life is promised to God's chosen people in that everlasting covenant. I, I like to read and uh, I like to quote Robert Hawker when I can. This is what Robert Hawker says on this subject. Listen, listen to this because it's great. And, and that's the benefit of, of uh, sending this out in a recording. You can listen to this again. You don't need to listen to my part, but listen to what Robert Hawker says. From this appointment, this covenant, from this appointment, before all worlds, result all the after mercies in time by which the happy partakers of such unspeakable grace and mercy are regenerated, called, adopted, made willing in the day of God's power and are justified, sanctified and at length fully glorified to the praise of Jehovah's grace who hath made them accepted in the beloved. This is what the prophet is writing of in Isaiah 49. From the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal word, word a declaration goes forth to the ends of the earth. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far, the Lord hath called me from the womb. If you've managed to have time to read the little note that I sent out yesterday, you'll note that I made the point that, that this reference to the womb was not from the womb of Mary. He goes on to speak about that, but from the womb of eternity. 
The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. Isaiah, up until this point, has been anticipating the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. Remember, it was Isaiah who wrote of the child who would be born, of the son who would be given. It was Isaiah who foresaw the gospel day of the Lord. And now this child of the virgin is revealed in his covenant role as God's servant, sent to do his will. And we're going to be enlarging upon this in the chapters that follow. Sent to do his will, sent to redeem his people and sent to glorify the name of God. Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I I will be glorified. Thou art my servant, says the Father to his Son. Thou art my servant, says Jehovah to the God-man, in whom I will be glorified. And let us remember that this prophecy that Isaiah wrote was written principally to the Lord's remnant people among the Jews of that day for their instruction in divine truth and to comfort their souls. Isaiah had this injunction, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. And this is how he did it, by writing to them about the covenant of grace by writing to them about the coming Messiah by writing to them to reinforce the promises of God towards them he is comforting their souls by the gospel and that is the message which has comforted the souls of God's people in every generation you want to do someone good preach the gospel to them so I have chosen three lessons from this chapter 49 that I think would have been meaningful to Isaiah's age and I hope for much the same reasons that they will prove helpful for us today as well from what has been revealed here of Christ's service and ministry in the everlasting covenant for the redemption of his people. So here's my first point, and it's it's the largest one, so don't worry if it seems to take a while, but I think this is very interesting. Um, here's, here's what I want to say first. I want us to think about the difficulties and the opposition which the Lord Jesus Christ met with. The difficulties and the opposition which the Lord Jesus Christ met with in the fulfilment of the terms of the covenant of grace. I am always struck. And I I confess that it hasn't been all my life, but but it's something I I came upon uh, a few years ago and and considered it and thought about it more, more particularly. And, and since that time, I am always struck in reading those Old Testament scriptures, which are explicitly messianic, by which I mean they relate to and foretell Christ's coming. I am always struck by the testimony of Christ's weakness. Now that might seem a strange thing to say. 
But we must never imagine that the Lord Jesus Christ breezed his way through life without a problem because he was the Son of God. And really, I mean, what harm could come to the Son of God? But the truth is, whenever the Lord is speaking, whenever the Lord is giving any personal testimony in the context of his humanity, as he is here in this passage, and as he often does in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm uh, 22, 23, 24, as he does in the book of Lamentations, for example, Whenever the Lord is speaking of a personal testimony and speaking of the things which he will endure, he expresses anxiety. He speaks about weakness and fear and even, as here in this chapter, a sense of failure. Now, I think this is truly quite amazing and I, and I hope you will before you dismiss what I, I have to say here, that you'll give me the moment of considering what, what I, I, I'm presenting. In verse 4, because this is the Lord that is speaking here. In verse 4 he says, I have laboured in vain. I have spent my strength for naught. I don't think we should gloss over this. In his humanity, our Lord Jesus was just the same as you and me. With this exception, he was without sin. Now, we understand that physically, right? We know that he hungered and he thirsted. We know that he got weary and he had to sleep. We know that, that he got cold and, and tired and had nowhere to lay his head. We know that he experienced pain in his body and we also know that he experienced pain in his soul. But he knew stress. He knew anxiety. He knew frustration and he knew fear in his heart and in his emotions. And here, if I am not mistaken, the God-man, considering in the terms of the everlasting covenant what he must endure, questions whether he will be able to accomplish all that is required of him under his covenant obligations. Think about that. Think about that. When God the Father set forth what would be required to fulfil the redemption of his people, the Lord Jesus Christ wondered whether he in his flesh would be able to accomplish all the demands that were required of him. Wondered to the point at which he says, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to succeed. I have laboured in vain. I have spent my strength for naught. I think we all know what that's like sometimes. I think we all experience that from time to time. 
We doubt that we are up to the job. We say things like, I can't do this. It's too much for me. I, I won't make it. This is all going to be in vain. I'll do all this work and it'll be for nothing. And such doubts we, we discover in our own experience. And, and I assume, unless I'm only speaking for myself, I assume that this is universal. Such doubts can paralyze us. Self-doubt makes us fear to even begin a task or keep on with it once we've started. And brothers and sisters, this is one of the amazing truths of the word of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ was touched with the feeling of our infirmities insofar as he was in all points tempted like as we are. And therefore he understands and he sympathises with us in every fear and in every anxiety and in every weakness that we feel. But look at what the Lord says next. Look at what he says immediately thereafter. He says, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. The Lord Jesus Christ was saying here, as this covenant of redemption, this covenant of grace and peace was being set forth, as this was being discussed in the eternal counsel of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ said, my judgment is with the Lord. I will do what the Lord requires of me. I will serve as I am able and I will leave the assessment of the success in the hands of my Father. And of course we, we know, we know now because we live in the uh, uh, after side of the uh, crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that he was successful. We know that uh, that success was declared and vindicated in Christ's resurrection. And I think this principle, this, this leaving the assessment and success of our work in God's hands is a good lesson for us all. I certainly take that to myself and say that it's a good lesson for preachers. And I'm sure it was for the Lord's apostles. The Lord's apostles went out into the world not knowing what the response was going to be to their ministry. And very often finding it to be almost overwhelming in the rejection that they felt. And it ought to be so for us all. Let us labour, brothers and sisters, for the Lord. Let us do that which he lays to our hands. And let us leave the success or otherwise of these things in the care of our God. The father said to the son, you will be my servant to raise up the remnant of Israel, to gather a number that no man can count from amongst the Gentiles, to whom... You will be light. Whatever the Lord lays to our hands, let us do it. And when we have done what we can as unto the Lord, then let us leave it with the Lord. If the Lord Jesus Christ 
had a felt need of his father's help to enable him to do the work which he had to do, then it is good for us equally to have that felt need and to feel that weakness and that anxiety in the things that we are about. It is not in our strength, but in our weakness that God is glorified. And he is faithful. He is faithful. He accepts the widow's might. And he rejects the rich man's bounty. And he takes a Mary Magdalene and a Zacchaeus and a doubting Thomas and he makes them champions of the faith. And he could have put this task into the hands of any number of people. Whatever it is. Into the hands of another. But he chose you. And he chose me. So let us answer as did the Lord when we feel inadequate or we feel like an imposter. It is not my assessment that matters. My judgment is with the Lord and my work is with my God. So that's the first thing that I wanted to leave with you. The difficulties and oppositions which Christ met with even in anticipation his role and responsibility in this covenant. Here's the second thing that I want to, to say. God the Father was indeed faithful. And throughout his lifetime, the Lord Jesus was protected in his vulnerability and he was strengthened in his weaknesses. When Herod slew the infants... And when Satan tempted Christ and when the crowd tried to throw him off of a cliff and when the Jews sent their officers to arrest him and when he was in the garden of Gethsemane and his disciples fell asleep, our Saviour was tested in all aspects of his humanity. He was despised by men. He was abhorred by his own nation. He was mocked by kings. And yet the Father was true to his promise. And in accordance with the terms of the covenant that had been entered into and agreed upon by Father, Son and Holy Ghost, Christ's Father was to him a rod and staff in the valley of the shadow of death. And he prepared a table for him in the presence of his enemies. And he poured out his Holy Spirit upon him without measure, anointing him with grace and wisdom. As we read in the children's passage. Isaiah had said again. What in Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold. Mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. This covenant of redemption. This covenant of grace and peace. Encompasses the full supply of everything needful for the salvation of the elect and the deliverance of those whom God has loved from everlasting. Not just the fact, and, and, and I say just, forgive me using that word, but not only the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ died and shed his blood on the cross, but everything, every providence, every help, every support, every, every, every need supplied, 
Because the Lord God has promised that he will uphold and maintain the work of Christ for him and for his people. Nothing is left to chance. Nothing is left undone. Every need, every eventuality, every failure on our part was anticipated by the eternal sovereign Jehovah to secure absolutely the end of the matter in hand, the success of the work and the triumph of the Saviour. Even the weaknesses in the humanity of the God-man were accounted for and fully supplied by the Lord God. The Lord's difficulties we've thought about the Lord's successes we've thought about. And finally, let me just leave this little thought with you, that that ought to instill confidence in us. Let me return to you and me and apply what this passage teaches to our personal situations. Remember, we... um, we, no, we noticed, we, we, I, I think, um, uh, as, we, as we, were, we were reading verse 14, um, the reference to what Zion says, uh, he, he says this, But Zion said, that is the church, that's us, that's, that's you and me, But Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. So here's... here's Isaiah writing all these things, telling the people of his age all of these things, speaking about the, the Christ coming and the Father's help of him and the messianic role and responsibilities that he will have and the successes that he will bring. And what does the church say? The church says, the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. How hard it is for us to trust the Lord and to to depend upon his promises. And I think some of us know this feeling. I think some of us hear these promises made week after week, month after month, year after year. And despite all the promises and reassurances of God's word and the testimony of our own experience that it has been so, Yet we harbour doubts that we are ashamed to confess. Even as we call him my Lord, there is that shadow in our soul which says, the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. We, you and I today, we today, we who are Zion, Tremble with Zion, that the Lord will forsake and forget us. And yet what a beautiful example and powerful confirmation the prophet gives here in his reassurance to his people. A nursing mother will forget her infant child before the Lord will forget us. Our names are graven on the palms of his hands. 
This covenant, these promises are so certain, so sure, so watertight that nothing in the realm of earth or heaven can ever thwart its purpose or disturb its outcomes. It's settled. Isaiah uses the words of the Saviour and the promises of the Father in the everlasting covenant of grace to reassure the believers of his own age. And now, today, we have the same words and the same promises and we have seen them fulfilled in the actions of the triune God, both Christ upon the cross and the Father's provision in getting him there, protecting him all the days of his life. And this should assure and reassure our confidence. We have seen the faithfulness of the Father in fulfilling his responsibilities in the covenant of grace, of upholding Christ all the way to the cross. We've seen the tenacity of the Son in enduring everything that he was called to endure and bearing our sins and carrying our guilt and dying in our place. And we have seen the power and we felt the power of the Holy Spirit in quickening our souls and delivering the captives from the mighty and releasing the prey from the terrible. We are the captives that were bound in that mighty prison of sin and condemnation. We are the prey that has been constrained by the terrible enemies of our souls. And we are they who have been freed. Even the trials you have endured and even those trials which still lie ahead to be endured are designed to reward us of greater, with greater blessings and, and more benefits than you and I could possibly imagine. That's what the references here are to the children saying, this, this land of ours is too small for us. The, the, the people of Isaiah's day were lamenting the fact that they lost their children in the, in, in, in the battles with the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And the Lord is saying, look, your children are going to cry out, this land is too small for us. He's speaking again of gospel days. There would be a terrible cost at the hand of the Assyrians and Babylonians, but a spiritual fruit will be immense and far outweigh the hurt that we feel in time and in our bodies. God will raise up children in Zion and he will populate his church with generation after generation of converts using as a means the weak and feeble testimony of the generation that has gone before you and me. We are not forgotten. The church is not bereft. Christ is victorious and he shall have all his reward and gather every son and daughter into his kingdom as God has promised. And God's name will be glorified. I think that's something worth believing. And I hope you do too. Amen.